Amen. of the congregation. Uh, we have two congregational conversations coming up. One next week. I invite you to attend one of two on October 6th and October 13th in the library right after worship. If we need to go to a bigger space, we're more than willing to move that to a bigger space. We're going to chat uh, about uh, PPC going into a 20-hour-a-week uh, associate pastor of community outreach. So I invite you to a congregational conversation for that in anticipation of our congregational meeting at the end of the month. The, the congregation places an associate pastor nominating committee in play. And uh, come and find out more about that both next week. If you can't make next week, then the 13th. Those are available to you uh, as well. Spent a great three days. Alfredo and I joined uh, a total of about 28 people at uh, Campus by the Sea. It was a refocusing conference uh, with the Se uh, Seattle Presbytery, Los Ranchos Presbytery. Old habits die hard, I guess. The Los Ranchos Presbytery, and there were 28 folks that really awakened to God's purpose and call uh, for their unique DNA and their unique life. So we've been full and busy, and I think I spoke uh, nine straight hours, so I'm hoping my voice is going to make it. So we're going to find out here shortly. We're in a series entitled now, Surpassing Jesus. Hopefully that's brought a couple questions uh, into your own mind. And today we're going to look at the glory that saved the day, one of my favorite texts in all of John's Gospel, John chapter 2. John uh, positions throughout his Gospel seven miraculous signs. And we're going to take a look at most of those over the course of the next couple of months as we head up to and then begin uh, our Advent series. Now, this title, Surpassing Jesus, what's up with the title, Surpassing Jesus, right? Has anybody thought that? Anybody think that when they read that? There's this unique text in John chapter 14, verse 12, and it says this, and Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples, trying to prepare them for the time that he will move on. And Jesus says this, and it's a great little text, I assure you that whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. And here it is. They will do even greater works than these. What? Because I am going to the Father. Greater works than these. Not better, just greater. And uh, Alfredo did a great job last week of introducing some of the concept of that. You know, in John's Gospel, John... Uh, Jesus starts with two disciples that become 12, that become 2.4 billion Christians on the earth today. Greater things than these, done by you, my friends, the very hands and the very feet of God in Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at this text and talk about the glory that saved the day. John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. It's a text I use at almost every wedding I do. I love this text. Uh, it's my go-to text and the word of the Lord. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Now, that's unique. On the third day, 
A wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. What's up with this phrase, on the third day? Well, it could be a foreshadowing of the resurrection on the third day. But interestingly enough, weddings back in that day would last an entire week. Anybody got a wedding coming up? Any fathers have to pay for a wedding coming up? An entire week back then, so I think we're getting off a little easier. Now the interesting thing about that tradition is the first couple of days of the wedding week, both families would be enjoying each other and getting to know each other. The third day was the vow day. The third day was the actual exchange of the vows. It was the time, it was the, it was the date in the wedding week when the vows would be exchanged and the celebration would begin that night and it would carry on for the rest of the week. So it wasn't a one-night reception for two or three hours. It was a reception that carried on for three more days. Hence the bank of mom and dad. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. We have a crisis. We have a disaster. Now Jesus says something that might sound kind of harsh. Woman. Remember, it's his mom. You know, if I would have said that to my mom... I'd be in my room for an extended period of time, at the very least. Woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. They're not on the same wavelength. So his mother didn't like what he heard. She still acted. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. We don't know what he's going to do. It's behind the scenes. But do whatever he tells you to do. Nearby stood six stone water jars. The kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing. Each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Now, I'm not great with math, but six stone water jars. Big jars holding 20 to 30 gallons of water. Clean water used to purify oneself so oneself could go and worship. It's a great text. Purification water. So Jesus takes these jars filled with water used to purify to enter worship and He's going to do something amazing and transform the day and save the day all for the glory of Himself. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some water out and take it to the master of the banquet, banquet, the sommelier. And he does. They did so. And the master of the banquet, the sommelier, tasted the water that had been turned into wine. Is this interesting? Something set apart, a form consecrated for holiness is transformed into something else seemingly mundane yet significantly important. He did not realize where it had come from, and though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He did it incognito behind the scenes. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, 
And I love this. And then the cheaper wine after the guests have had a little bit too much. You know what I'm saying? But you, bridegroom, you've saved the best wine for last. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which He revealed His key word, glory. You want to say that with me? Glory. Not bad. And His disciples, check this out, believed in Him. Now John's Gospel is important. And two words here at the very end, we're going to see all the way through. It's all about the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Everything about John is about the glory of God, the doxa, glory of God in Jesus Christ. It's where we get our word doxology. You know that song we sing once in a while? It's all about bringing praise, honor, and glory, doxa, to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it's tied all the way back to the First Testament story when Moses goes up to the mountaintop to to get the Ten Commandments, and he comes back down, and his face is shown with the, say it with me, glory of God. Jesus's, or Moses' face was shining with the glory, the purity, the holiness, the glory of God. So John is connecting Jesus with the tablets that Moses received on Mount Sinai. This is going to find its way all the way through the Gospel of John. Hey, where'd the text go? Can we put that text back up? Welcome to Placentia Presbyterian Church, by the way. Now, another key phrase that we need to understand before we dig into this text. His disciples believed in Him. In John's Gospel, John never uses the noun belief. Because the noun belief is a passive belief. Oh yeah, I believe that. Hey man, what time's dinner? Or yeah, I believe that. uh, When's my tea time? Nothing against tea times, by the way. John never uses the noun belief in his gospel. He only uses the verb believe. And believe in John's gospel is an action word. I believe it with my mind and I live it with my heart. His disciples believed by going with. His disciples believed by committing a wholeheartedly and 100%. His disciples didn't just believe and sit in a row and then go on with life. His disciples believed and it transformed their lives in significant ways, even though they goofed up all the time. Just like you and me. Powerful. So here is the end of the first text. And this morning, we're going to look at the glory that saved the day. Because the ones who believe will do greater works than I. Why? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit. That means you and I have access to Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And to the extent that we not just have belief and let it hang out up here, but to the extent in which we believe and go put our faith in action, we will in fact do greater things. 
So yeah, I think we can surpass Jesus by recognizing it's His glory that saves the day. And I'd like to point out just a few ways that His glory saves the day. Four of them, okay? First of all, notice, and it, it's so obvious, but it needs to be stated, we got to invite Jesus to the party, man. Jesus needs to be invited. He didn't have to be invited, but He was invited. Jesus was invited to the celebration. Jesus was invited to the center of the community. Jesus was invited to the church. Jesus was invited to the center of the lives of people. Not to the extent that they just had belief in Him, but that they believed. Here I go. I'm following. Rolling up my sleeves. Time to get to work. And so we find ourselves in this dramatic story. On the third day, after the vows were exchanged, they ran out of wine fairly quickly. Now what to do? Well, Jesus' mother recognizes his son to be the Messiah, perhaps before anyone else. And she concocts a plan to save the day. Leave it to our moms. You know, now this text, as I was preparing for it, I thought, this would be a better text on a college campus. Thank you for laughing at that joke. It would be really good to tell on a frat row. So Jesus takes what is consecrated for holy purposes and transforms a disaster into a celebration, and no one knows. The groom would have been severely shamed. There would have been grumbling and griping and complaining unlike we've ever experienced before. And yet no one knew that Jesus took something that was consecrated for holiness and transformed it to save face for the groom. Jesus saves the day. 100%. And now you might ask, in what ways did Jesus really save the day? Well, he saves a wedding. He saves the honor of the groom. He saves by providing clean drink, a prime value added in that day. You know, clean liquids to drink were not easy to come by. Water wasn't sold in clean bottles. Oftentimes, fermented and unfermented wine was the cleanest way to drink without fear of getting really, really sick. And he saves the day by providing religious inclusion to all people. Because he, he took these jars that were meant for Jews... And he opened it up to whomever was there. He's already broadening the landscape of who's able to receive the glory of God. I find that fascinating. And the fourth way, we surpass Jesus. Perhaps. I find even more interesting. 
because he acts when he's prompted by his mom. How many of you have done something because your mom prompted you to do something? If you're not raising your hand, we got to talk. We've all acted because our mom told us to do something. I still act because my mom tells me to do something. But these two were not on the same timeline. Jesus wasn't ready to begin. She saw an opportunity. She didn't like his response. I don't think I would either, woman. It's not my time. But she sets it in action, and she says, do whatever he tells you to do. Mary steps out of line. And it reveals the glory of God. So yeah, we can surpass Jesus in many different ways. If we invite Him to the party, we allow Him to save the day. And when He saves, it's a confluence of saving activities. Some we get to understand and some we may not get to understand. And once in a while... It's prompted by someone else. Isn't that fascinating? I find it fascinating. I was in the hospital uh, earlier this week chatting with uh, Dan Kruger, and Dan gave me permission to tell this story, actually. I asked his permission. Uh, Dan had some kind of bypass on his left leg. For a number of months, he couldn't, if I get all the story right, he couldn't feel his toes uh, they were numb, tingling, and his toes were cold. So he had to have surgical procedure, a bypass, so that hopefully the last-ditch effort to restore circulation to his foot, the only other option wasn't a good option. It would have left him without a left foot. As he was telling the story to me, he said, you know, I was laying on the gurney, I was going into surgery, and he said something like, faith to me is very important. It's, it's, it's even more than just a, a once a week on a Sunday thing. My relationship with Christ is, is really every day. That's the difference between I believe, a belief, and I believe. And he said, I can remember looking up and as I'm going down the hallway and the lights on the ceiling and I just said, Jesus, I know you're with me all the time. I kind of need you a little bit more right now. And that was his prayer. That's the beautiful thing about prayers. They don't, it's just an utterance whenever it needs to be. Came out of surgery and he said, look, I can move my feet. I can feel my toes. They have better color. And they're warm. I said, Dan, you got a miracle. He goes, I don't know about that. I go, Dan, you got a miracle. That's, that's what we call miracles in 2019. And he said, yeah, I got a miracle. I got saved. And it's the glory of God that saves the day. Right? 
This notion that Jesus acts because his mother prompted him is also curious to me. Mary steps out of line and it reveals the glory of God. Alfredo and I were talking earlier this week about the Emmys. Did anybody watch the Emmys? Okay, all the way through. Uh, a gal, Alex Borstein, and I've never seen the show, won an Emmy for Best Supporting Actress in a Comedy. She got up to receive her speech. She said, she said this, my mother, my, my mother and grandmother were immigrants. My grandmother was a Holocaust survivor. My grandmother was in line to get shot in a, Nazi, in a Nazi concentration camp and to fall into a pit. And as she was standing in line, marching to almost certain death, there was a soldier there, and she turned to him, and she said, what happens if I step out of line? And he said, well, I don't have the heart to take your life, but I'm sure somebody else will. And she stepped out of line, and nobody else had the heart. And because of that, stepping out of line, that grandmother had a mother who had a granddaughter who stood up to receive an Emmy. The glory of God does save the day for many people in many places in many times. Now, I'm not suggesting that every single one of us step out of line. But every once in a while, you just have to step out of the line. I almost entitled this message, uh, how many of you are Friends fans? You've watched the TV show Friends? It's, it's, you can binge it now for months. I think on Netflix, it's bad. I almost entitled this sermon, That Time the Wine Ran Out. Thank you for those friends, fans. You got me. Because this is the glory that saved the day. This is ways, small ways in which Jesus is surpassed by people. Stepping out of line. Jesus still remains in the background. Nobody knew. But it reveals the glory of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Don't ever forget it. Is there a call to action today? Sure. From a passive, yeah, I believe that. Where are we going this afternoon? From a passive, yeah, that was a nice sermon, Pastor. I believe that. What time's our cruise leave again? Not that any of those things are wrong. But there has to come a moment in time when passive belief becomes active believing. And it flips everything. It turns everything upside down. so that the glory of God can save the day. Do you know what the word disaster actually means? I like the etymology of words. 
The word disaster comes from dis, aster. Dis, the falling apart, the falling of the asters, asteroids, the falling of the stars. A disaster is when the stars are falling. Sounds like a pretty good understanding of a disaster to me. Is there a disaster in your life right now that Jesus needs to be invited right to the center of? Because when we invite Him to the center of those disasters, He'll save the day. And He'll act to save the day. And other people may step out of line to act to save the day with Jesus Christ. Do you have one of those in your life right now? If you do, it's the move from, yeah, I believe that. I hope everything works out okay. Two, I believe it. And I'm going to enlist folks that can help make a transformation possible to reveal the glory of God that saves the day. I don't know if you know this or not, but every year 3.5 million people die every year from water illnesses. Now, stats are a funny thing. Yeah, 3.5 million, okay. That's, that's the equivalent of one jumbo jet crashing every single hour. Boy, there's a lot of disasters going on. What are you going to pour your life into? What are you going to ask Jesus to step into the middle of? What are we as a church? Ask Jesus to step into the middle of. I'm not going to answer those questions. I'm going to let the disaster of the stars falling prompt your consideration <laughs> and your call and our call in response. I know one thing for certain, for certain. When we invite him to the party, he'll save the day. And he'll act in ways that we anticipate and in ways in which we would never see coming. And I love the fact that he acted because his mom asked him to. Because there will be times when the wine will run out. But there's always a Savior whose glory saves the day. Let's pray. We worship you this day, God, in spirit and truth. And who would have thought that a text used more often than not at weddings can transform the life of people and congregations and neighborhoods and communities and nations and even beyond. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We invite you. We invite you into the center. Turn our passive belief to active believing. And in so doing, 
hold on for the ride as people's lives are transformed like water into wine. And all God's people said, Amen.